interviewing the leading private equity executives and unlocking the secrets of success. Welcome to the Private Equity Podcast with Alex Rawlings. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Raw Selection Private Equity Podcast. Joining us today is Matthew Carr, co-founder and head of research and technology at AtomCell, which is a cyber security firm working with private equity companies and their portfolio businesses. Welcome, Matt, and thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Alex. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So, as is customary, if you could give us a 60 to 90 second breakdown of you, please. Well, that's something I will struggle with, so I'm going to give it my best shot. So for the, at least the last 15 years, I've been doing cybersecurity professionally and actually a wide array of um, areas. First of all, starting on what we call the offensive side, so what they call penetration testing and uh, red teaming, which is like validating security controls. I've done that for a, a number of large companies I've worked for in the past, IKEA Group, IBM, and SecureLink. And I've also worked with a number of like government organizations in the UK and also throughout Europe to secure critical national infrastructure and sort of test those more esoteric areas. I've also worked in developing solutions for security operation centers, so like network security monitoring software uh, and other solutions like that. And I've also spent time in operational security, which is actually interesting because people talk about cybersecurity, but operational security is sort of like wider scope, right? That incorporates everything from sort of, you know, stuff that your employees might post online to um, uh, even like, you know, is the back door locked properly? Uh, that kind of stuff. So it goes beyond just cyber into the cyber physical. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. So what one mistake do you see private equity firms, portfolio companies making and what would you suggest to correct them, Matt? So I think the number one has to be tucking acquisitions and the cyber due diligence around that. So when we look at a portfolio, so we have technology that can that basically looks at the whole portfolio and we'll identify issues and then we go to the company and, and we talk with them and we cover them. And what's interesting is like the company itself that the private equity firm has invested in, they've typically got very good security and you know it's well established and they have all their processes, but then of course, like the goal is to grow, right? And so there are a lot of these tuck-in acquisitions. And what we see is that there just isn't enough cyber due diligence around that during the acquisition stage. And an interesting example is like one tuck-in acquisition we saw was acquired for their technology, their source code and their software. And when we actually did the audit, it turns out that their software had been exposed on a server for years. So arguably, actually, you know, not that you would do this, but they didn't even have to pay for it, right? Because Anyone could have got that source code. It was right there. Um, but at the same time, you know, that things like this should be flagged because you might end up having like big costs to rectify something after the fact. Like once you uh, acquired that company and then you realize, you know, there's a lot to fix, you know, that bill could be huge. Cyber is interesting. We get attacked on a regular basis, but mainly by, um, you know, the usual email type trail. We've had a couple of people nearly buy Amazon vouchers when they join a the business. So we, Put in, you know, our training processes and awareness processes of, you know, never, we'll never ask for Amazon vouchers, we'll never ask you to buy them, etc. That kind of scenario, and it's not something we were aware of until it happened. So, what type of attacks are we talking about here? Because I think a lot of people, you know, kind of think, oh, yeah, cyber, what happened to me? It's a bit like burglary, really. And what are we talking about from a private equity perspective or portfolio company? Well, let's kick off with a private equity firm if that's possible. 
what are the some of the risks? What are hackers targeting? What are they looking for? What I'm assuming it's money, but give us a yeah. better perspective of what's kind of going on here that we may not be aware of. Okay, yeah, great question. So firstly, what's interesting about sort of cyber attacks is there's a wide array of different types. So as you mentioned, those that sort of fall into the scamming domain. Obviously, everyone's heard of ransomware. It's, you know, it's, a, it's an important topic. And in that case of ransomware, right, like most people expect you turn up and you actually have an indicator because, you know, you, you can't use your systems and you've been ransomed. There's a few other areas which are interesting. One is uh, corporate espionage, right? So sometimes that is it's known as tactical disruption. So sometimes you might have issues with systems. You might have, you know, something that didn't go well. You, you know, you might have these sort of um, like tiny little things that are happening and you might perceive it as being, you know, we're just having a bad day with technology or things going wrong, but it can actually be, you know, corporate espionage. So that's one area. And so leading on from that in corporate espionage, obviously you have a stealing like intellectual property of portfolio companies, right? So that's definitely one. And then you have a sort of area which it is very difficult to detect and you typically won't get any indicators. And that is sort of um, intelligence connection, right? So typically those attacks will be like silent in nature, more advanced. They're going to bypass some certain defenses. They might hide somewhere that's very difficult to find. And their goal is to basically sit there and eavesdrop over communications. Now, there's a number of reasons why that might happen and why PE firms are targeted. The most common that we see is, and this is sort of more prevalent in the age of ransomware, is we've actually seen private equity firms targeted so that the hackers can get access to their insurance policy and see what the cap is on the insur cyber insurance policies and then basically go after the portfolio companies and try and hit them just below that threshold so they're guaranteed a payout, right? Because you don't, someone's only got a million pounds worth of cover, you, you know, you don't want to hit them for three million. And I think the other one is, yeah, definitely targeting the PE firm to perhaps access a portfolio company, especially in more sensitive areas. So portfolio companies that supply like technology, software and solutions to government, uh, to military, to banking, all these areas. And that would fall in the realm of su a supply chain attack, right? So if I can gain access there, I might be able to gather information. I might be able to like backdoor products and technologies that are going into sensitive environments. So you can be targeted like two, three hops away because of that access that would allow them into their final target. That sounds, sounds scary. And how are they, you know, I think everyone's mainly aware of the, you know, whatever prince trying to get rid of this capital and therefore you have to pay something to get the millions and millions. And that's fairly common. And I'm sure from your perspective, fairly basic. What are they doing to try and get in? How are people trying to break into either P firms or portfolio companies? There's a few ways. Like the way you mentioned is like what we would refer to as social engineering, which includes things like phishing, as you mentioned. So that's sending an email. You've got something known as smishing, which is where you send a text message. And so... That's typically a vector that is successful. You know, we say the right message, the, you know, the right email at the right time will, will typically always work, especially because you can spoof uh, email addresses, you can spoof numbers. So we've actually demonstrated in the past how, I, you know, we can send messages that actually end up in the same thread from a number. So in some cases, that's very difficult. Like if it's advanced, some of them are quite low level. So that's sort of one area. The next one would be like pretty pretty good attackers that are going to leverage known vulnerabilities so for anyone that does like vulnerability scanning right it's, uh, if you've ever done that and you find something it's going to flag something up and say this isn't this is outdated that contains the vulnerability that's an issue and so like they'll leverage those so like 
you know, a term in security or is like patch management that's actually updating your system. So certain hackers will look for those systems that haven't been updated, that have known vulnerabilities in them and like leverage those to gain access. And then you have like the top tier of attackers, which um, would typically be the ones that are going after the places I mentioned, like the companies that supply to military government. They're going to use what we call a zero day vector, which is basically it's an attack that not even the vendor knows about, right? So there is no update available for it. In fact, no one knows about it. No one's talking about it. And th this is very effective. And the way that they'll go about finding those is, first of all, mapping the technology that you have. So if you're targeting a PE firm, then you would map their technologies. And let's say they use a certain type of system. Then basically what they do is they go and replicate that system in their own lab. And they'll look for these vulnerabilities using a number of, of advanced techniques. But the benefit of that is that once you find one of these vectors, because the vendor doesn't know about it, because like antivirus or endpoint detection response doesn't know about this thing, they often sell straight through. And so there are various types of that. So there are like attacks that require user interaction or require certain conditions to be true. But the sort of holy grail is what we call a zero click attack. So that's the sort of most dangerous one would be a zero day, zero click attack. So it's unknown. There's no patch for it. And when you launch the attack, it doesn't require any user interaction. So it's basically um, going to achieve your objective, you know, instantly, basically. And so if you don't have proper defenses in place, such as network security monitoring, etc., that's most likely going to go undetected and be successful. Okay. And it's, again, coming down to that kind of burglar analogy, you know, something we've had in the firm actually been burgled and stolen, or unfortunately useless. From their perspective, laptops will just wipe the hard drives and then sell the cases, which is all incredibly well protected from our perspective. But if, like, for example, we didn't have security systems, now you can't get in this office without everything going whirling around and doing X, Y, and Z. You know, security cameras have well, like four knobs to an extent now. But obviously, for somebody that's not had a, a particular cyber attack and not had an issue, for example, we didn't used to have a process where we used to train our, you know, anybody who joined the business not to do X, Y, and Z and not to you know, think of anything from a, we'll never ask you to do this, we'll never ask you to do that. Don't click on the links to say, you know, invoice on the top and it's all web links and everything else. Yeah. What's some of the basic things that if I'm a private equity firm or I'm a chief executive of a portfolio company or C-suite exec, what's some of the basic things that we should be doing to kind of maybe create a little bad? Culture is maybe not the right word, so I think we'll just be all wandering around worried about cyber security, but definitely to have that awareness within the business what's well, some of the things that we should be doing on a basic level and then obviously moving up to more you know the yes or investment would be great question yeah I, I think that's a brilliant question and i would say you were spot on with culture right and i actually say that like security a lot of the time comes down to culture so that's not having a culture of blame right so again i actually have this sort of analogy that if you're walking down the street and you encounter an mma fighter and some random reason they decide to pick on you and you know you're not expected to defend yourself right and so the same thing applies in the cyber realm you have very competent attackers that's what they do so a blame culture is something that you should never have right if an employee clicks on something which is actually why i'm not a big fan of like phishing training because you're flagging people up oh you clicked on it and there's a risk that next time they click on something they're not gonna come forward because it's sort of like they've already got two strikes so it's like you know whoever it might be they oh, I can't tell them i clicked on this right because i failed the last two tests so getting rid of like any kind of blame culture and sort of a culture that understands that security is like a constant process an iterative process 
you never sort of end up at a point in time where we're really secure. That's it. Gloves off. Forget about security because we're all good. It's like you want to, we call it security maturity. So you're always aiming to just move the needle towards a more mature environment. Having those controls in place for sure is definitely something. And also understanding that like vulnerabilities are going to come up. You know, it's no one's fault. What we see, which is which is te like terribly sad in a way, is that like systems administrators or people, they, you know, take it very personally. You know, oh no, like, you know, you found something, but that's okay, right? And like, that's one thing within the culture is people have to say, it's okay to find things. In fact, it's better than okay. It's brilliant to find things because you're being proactive and you're finding stuff before the bad guys do. So like, that's something you definitely want to do. In terms of actually things you can do, I would sort of our first like mo in this regards is basically to limit the data you store and keep anyway because you know we often say like you can't hack what's not there so that's one thing you want to try and do is just look at the information you store like do you have to ensure that there are times when you have to do it for compliance and etc etc but like try and really think about like what data you've got where what you're saving and where possible minimize that when you have sensitive data that you need to keep then the next thing you want to do is encrypt it at rest, right? So protect it so, so that if someone does gain access to a system, they can't just read that information or copy that. Another thing that you want to do is what they call hardening of systems. So especially preventing what we call lateral movement. So a good example is uh, in Windows, it has the ability to transfer files from host to host. And it's been around for a long time. You know, 10, 15 years ago, that would be leveraged all the time in a corporate environment you know to share stuff and have these sort of shares where people are exchanging files etc nowadays most people use the cloud like 365 cloud etc so all of your connections are going out onto the internet and really what you want to do then is restrict and or basically completely eliminate the ability to laterally move because your employees they're going to email each other they're not going to pull up some kind of advanced terminal and make a different kind of connection right they're going to send an email so and still, that email is going to still go out to the internet to a gateway and come back. So there often isn't many times where you need that PC to PC communication internally. So that's one thing you want to look at. And because if you eliminate that, that's actually going to eliminate like 80% of the threats, right? Because ransomware really relies on the ability to propagate throughout the environment. So if you kill that, well, you know, it's got nowhere to go. So it's going to infect one sort of host, but then it can't go anywhere. It can only go back out to the internet. And that's where you want to be. And Leading on from that, which sort of ties in, is something called compartmentalization. So if you're a firm that likes to do R&D or has a lot of visitors and they come in, they use a certain network, then that should be arguably physically separated from your other, from your more sensitive networks, right? So you might decide to use like a different router, different ISP, or you could have other solutions known as like diodes that prevent information traveling one way. So to limit that and compartmentalize that is one thing that you want to do for sure. And also where, you know, where possible, all your networks and your systems, especially, uh, you know, I'm sorry to any marketing people listening. One of the sort of areas that we see is like the marketing department. I mean, I mean, to their credit, they have to access a lot of systems. They access them. They share that information between them, but also they're a lot more liberal at signing up for new systems, right? Because they've, there's a new platform exists here, a new platform exists there. And so that might typically create more of a risk than another department such as finance, right? Because you're a finance team, they're used to dealing with risk anyway. They're very, they're acutely aware of fraud and someone accessing accounts and siphoning money. And also the C-suite are very good as well, right? Because they've got information they want to protect. So 
In some cases, you might actually want to offset a certain department on their own network just so that you can free them up to do what they need to do because security is important. But what's more important than security is your actual business, right? And operating. So by doing those things, you can actually enable someone to operate better because then they don't have to worry about letting somebody in that's going to affect your main network and have this big impact. That's interesting. Sorry to interrupt here. Just a quick note to highlight our new sponsor, Grafter. The private equity market is rapidly shifted to a data-driven, proprietary deal sourcing standard. Grafter provides the window into over 7 million middle market private companies. Contact Grafter so you can access the market first. Request a demo at www.grafter.com. Now back to the podcast. If we think about obviously various different tools, various different things to prevent, what's the single kind of, if there was an area that, is it email that they tend to come through on? Is it normally those type of email type approaches where you're only getting the click and then find out how the password is and it's a false? Is that, if I was thinking, oh, there's probably so much to do on a cyber perspective, if I was to take one step that I could do today, would it, or would you recommend protecting emails better? If so, how? Is there a different area that we should protect? What's one thing we could action simply? Emails are definitely a good one, right? Because that is where most of the attacks will come through. And on Windows machines, there's actually ways that someone can get a password. It, yeah, it's hashed, but you can basically crack the hash as it's known, right? Especially the computing power today. But on Windows, there are certain conditions where you don't have to click anything. You just have to open it because of the way that Windows authenticates or load a remote icon. And with it, it will send that hash. And in some cases, they can just actually just what's known as pass the hash to use that to access the system. So email is definitely an important vector to protect. You can have certain solutions within your email provider. But I would say if you're talking about an actual thing to implement, for, to my mind, it would be network security monitoring because that would cover your emails, right? But it would also cover things in your internal network, anything that was coming through to your host. And so, sure, antivirus and endpoint detection is important, but there's a quote from the founder of AV Robotics, right? You uh, can't manage what you can't measure and you can't measure what you don't gather. And so, arguably, there's something to say about the fact that, you know, someone wants to manage their cybersecurity. And the obvious question to ask is, how can we manage it if we can't, if we don't have that visibility, if we can't see what's going on? it's arguably impossible to manage. So I would say, you know, if I was going into a business as a CISO or something, I would really advocate to get that visibility, right? So that maybe you're not doing it in real time, maybe you're not stopping threats, but having that visibility and saving and logging that that data allows you to retrospectively look back at that. Or if there is a cyber attack to respond, uh, your incident response is going to be like much faster. You know, you're going to have all the bits you need there to do that. And over time, you're going to notice the attacks because again, if you don't have that visibility, it's hard to know. So typically, like even a brand new router that's plugged in with a new IP address will have somewhere between 15 to 30,000 attacks over a weekend, just two days, right? A lot of these are automated like attacks that are going on and on. But if you're at home and you plug in your router and you get your internet going, like no one, you don't know that. You can't see it. Right. So, um, yeah, I would say like, like getting that visibility is like fundamental. And these emails that come in that are like the, probably know WhatsApp, speak to me urgently. Can you go and get me a 500 pound Amazon gift voucher? How just, I mean, I've seen some, you know, I've had emails from, uh, you know, it's all that timing, isn't it? Something you get and you're like, Sanic's the person, you're like, what the hell is this? And one of them, you know, we have Alice here off on maternity 
And uh, I got an email from you know, basically saying her name is an email address. I don't know her personal email address off by heart, just saying I need to change my bank account details. And, and immediately made me think, well, you wouldn't e I know she wouldn't email me that, although she might do. And then I was like, oh, well, maybe I need to, you know, I could have easily have changed her email bank account details. She didn't send them in the email. I just disregarded it and moved on. Um, but how do you kind of stop some of this stuff coming in? How do you stop them when they're faking your email address? And is there ways of this is outside of your network or your corporation? Is there, is there things to, I'm assuming a lot of it comes from that. Yeah, for sure it does. And you can take some simple steps. So like one thing that I do that you can do yourself and your client is disable like automatic loading of images, right? So it prevents that issue that I mentioned before. Disable um, what, sorry? Like automatic loading of images. So okay. when you get, right? So like if I get an email, I have to actually then click load the images, right? Because then I know I can trust the source. I think you do want to have some kind of awareness training into what to look for, right? So uh, as I said, you know, not saying to like fish training, but like awareness training is invaluable because sure, people can spoof like an email, but only from like, so like in your email client, you have like the headers you can see. And then in, in most clients, you can view the advanced headers. Now, typically it's like a pseudo email or like one that's displayed in that initial header that, that has been spoofed. But the actual email, if you looked at the advanced headers, isn't, they don't match. They're not the same, right? So it's a different source. Also, if you have a link, there are providers. One of the most well-known is Virus Total. That's actually free. So you can copy the URL. Again, like you kind of want the training there because you don't want to click that. You have to be very careful to like not click it. And then you want to paste that in. You, and you can basically, there are services where you can see where the link went, um, et cetera, et cetera. But for those that like, there is a quick solution that does require a little bit of technical know-how, but if you've got a team in house, and this is one that I like to do, is actually set your email client inside a virtual machine on your PC. So if you're using Windows, I would set up a, a virtualized machine. If you're brave, then you could go for like a Linux operating system, right? Or if you're using, if I'm using a Mac, I could actually have a virtual machine that's a Windows machine. And the advantage of that is, is first of all, like it's encapsulated in what's known as a sandbox, right? So there, there are no attacks that, that I'm aware of that would leverage a vulnerability in that first layer and then be able to like break out to break out of a virtual machine. Those like when exploits that would reach, that'd be at least a few hundred thousand dollars, right? Up to like a million dollars, that kind of attack. So like the chances of like a low level tech enabled crime group have a having that in the first place, not going to happen. Secondly, anyone that does have that kind of capability, you got, are they going to burn that kind of thing on you, right? You'd have to be a pretty important target. So like having it inside the VM is going to, again, kill like 80% of the issues. And the reason why I go for a different OS is again, it just adds the extra layer, right? Because the first sort of attack will target your Windows box, but even if they can break out of it and you're using Mac, it's like a different architecture. So like, it's just not going to, be effective in breaking out and that's actually like you know there's a lot of solutions now that make it easy like vmware have been around for a long time you can pretty much just click and create a vm but that's what i do so I, I use my email inside a virtual machine on my actual host machine and then i know that that is really like contained and almost jailed inside my own computer makes sense so what are your influences man what do you read what do you watch what do you listen to that maybe you would recommend to others that's a good one. In terms of reading, I know this is a bestseller, so a lot of people probably read it, but Atomic Habits, I thought was great. There's a slightly older book from uh, late 90s, I think, called The Fly Edge. Similar concept, but 
I actually think the slight edge would probably be my preference on that. Um, I do like to read a lot of non-fiction. I must admit, I do like to read a lot about security stuff still, right? Because, you know, when you're in this industry, like you have to, you know, always keep learning because the rate of technological innovation, there's always new things. Like if you stand still, it's kind of irrelevant. In terms of music, like when I'm, uh, when I'm like dialed in and doing some security stuff, I must say, I, I like something with a bit of like a persistent beat, no vocals, right? Like it really helps you to dial in. So that's, that's great for, uh, doing that but you know in terms of things i like to do certainly uh, get out in nature you can see it's pitch black i'm in sweden right now but outside i'm in the middle of a forest there isn't another human being for at least 20 30 minutes drive so try and live by a high-tech job low-tech lifestyle and then i achieve that balance very good i like it like it a lot and if <laughs> anybody wants to re-app reach out matt obviously maybe discuss cybersecurity or anything else how best do they uh, get in touch with you please Sure. So com, A-T-U-M-C-E-L-L.com is our website. My email address is simply m at atomcell. Interestingly, actually, there's a lot of systems that don't believe that could be an email address, so they don't even accept it, but I'm sure your client's fine. We're happy to discuss, I am, or another member of our team, happy to just have a conversation about security. But we actually do offer, you can actually go onto our website and you can book a free scan, so right, to identify stuff. And we're happy to do that because there's typically, right, like, you know, if we if we scan a portfolio and there's nothing to be found, then good for you. And, you know, we get a chance to understand, uh, you know, like what you're doing right. But if there's stuff to be found, then uh, we can engage in, in a further dialogue. So people are welcome to just go to the website and sign up for a scan and, you know, we can make that happen. Well, thank you very much. I mean, thank you very much for joining us, Matt. I appreciate it's not the most, well, certainly used to be the most exciting topic, but certainly probably a bit of a scary topic for a lot of people listening and, but equally, you know, running the firm here and, uh, you know, especially with the executive search, we're dealing with a lot of data, we're dealing with a lot of people's personal information. So, you know, and as I'm sure when you're acquiring a business, you've got non-disclosure agreements and, you don't want anybody getting into the information. The portfolio companies, I'm sure there's not private equity firms out there doing, I think you used the term, what was the term they used? Um, when another firm attacks another firm. as A, a supply test. chain attack. Yeah, so you know, hopefully there's no P firms driving that, but equally you don't want this information going out into the market, especially with investors and all sorts of different things in there. So yeah, thank you very much for sharing everything you have done, Matt. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Alex. And as always, for those listening, thank you very much for joining us. Should you ever need support with private equity professionals or portfolio executive hiring, please do reach out to us at Raw Selection. We operate across Europe and North America. And if you haven't done so already, please do subscribe and you'll be notified of the next podcast, which comes out every two weeks. But until the next time, keep smacking it. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Private Equity Podcast on www.raw-selection.com.